do you know God? Uh, I kind of expected somebody to say yes, but maybe that illustrates my point. I, I think we would all say yes to that question, probably. Maybe there are some here this morning who would say, I don't know or no. But I think most of us in an assembly like this would say yes, but maybe, maybe with a little bit of hesitation. And that's understandable because uh, while I know God, in some ways God is unknowable. He is the creator of the universe, right? Uh, and I've not experienced God in that sort of super tangible, direct sort of way. Uh, I've never seen Him with my eyes. I've never touched Him with my hands. I've never audibly heard God's voice speak in my ear. I've never seen Him appear in a pillar of fire or even in the person of Jesus Christ. And so I know God, but in some ways I'm getting to know Him more. Is that fair? Uh, I think it would be. But what about this question? Do you know love? I think probably most of us, whatever our background, would say yes to that question with much less hesitation. Of course, I know what love is, and, and I've experienced love. We've experienced lots of kinds of love in, in super tangible ways. I think about personally. Personally, I've experienced family love, right? The love of a parent, the love of a child, a grandchild, a sibling, an in-law. Brotherly love, both physical and spiritual fellowship that I have with, with other people, brothers and sisters. Selfless love, romantic love, love as service, love as a feeling, puppy love that, that burned off, deep lasting love that never will. I've loved and been loved in all of those ways and more. And all of these kinds of love are imitations or illustrations or sometimes even corruptions of God's love. And I think there is something to be learned there in all of those loves. Uh, God has uh, equipped us. God has put us into an environment where we see all of these kinds of love. And furthermore, no doubt, you've heard, maybe you've heard preachers talk about how the Greek language has all of these different kinds of love, words for love that may or may not give us different flavors of the concept, but, but those those concepts are certainly there in our Bibles, the concepts of brotherly love and romantic love and parental love and selfless sacrificial love, sometimes called agape love. We know those things, and those are good things to know. But all of this maybe leaves us with the impression that we are some sort of experts on love that from our own experience of all of these things that we've known in our life that relate to love, that we can define true love for ourselves. And besides being the plot of Frozen, love experts and defining what true love is, that's, that's kind of dangerous from a biblical perspective to have that thought that I know what love is and therefore I can define love because of my experience. That's dangerous. Um, let me show you what I mean. Would you turn in your Bible to 1 John, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and we'll begin reading in verse 7. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. He begins there by saying, Beloved, loved ones, and that's what you are. Uh, you're that because God loves you. 
Uh, but certainly you're that because your brothers and sisters in Christ love you. And even if you're visiting with us and you're not a Christian this morning, we want you to know that we love you and that God loves you. And so beginning with that thought, with that idea in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7, Beloved, John says, let us love one another. Why? For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. It turns out that these two questions are directly related. Do you know God? Well, if you really know love, then you do know God. But again, that's dangerous if we go about this the wrong way. If we say, I know what God is, or I know what love is, and therefore I know what God is, uh, we've left ourselves in a very subjective place when it comes to both the being of God and our understanding of love. The temptation is to hear God is love and say, oh, well, I know what love is. So God must be like that. God must be like this experience of love that I've had. And so we define love for ourselves and then define God in those terms. And some have said in a religious context, uh, love wins or it's all about love. And thus, any so-called love, whether that's extramarital love or homosexual love or selfish love or self-love or the like, all of those things must be approved by God. Why? Well, the Bible says right there, because God is love. Take this image. I, I searched this past week the love of God, the love of God, and I just looked through all of the images and ideas that came up with that. And this was one of the images, and, and there were lots of other images like this. God's doors are open for all. Was that true? Well, in one sense, it absolutely is. God's love is so powerful. And God's love is so big that, yes, He desires for all to come to Him, and all can come to Him. But if we define love as this last door defines love, if we define love in that way, what's implied is I can come to God, and this love is accepted because it's love. And yet coming to God, to His open door, requires us to accept the chastening of His love. To accept that something might be required of me in order to experience all of the grace that flows from His love. And so we live in a culture and in a time where we've got this exactly backwards. I know what love is, therefore I know who God is. May I suggest this morning that we need to put it back into the biblical order. If we can know who God is, and if we can know what His love is, that's when we can truly make right application to say, now I know what love is. The reality is, um, nothing contrary to the will or nature of God can ever really be love, not as God defines it. Because love is from God, and God is love. And we shouldn't seek to figure out what love is and then apply those qualities to God. Instead, we figure out who God is. And then we can properly understand what love is. We should be seeking to find who God is and what His love is like. 
Uh, that kind of love is what we should be rooted and grounded in. And again, for those of you who are members here, you know that our congregational focus has been rooted and grounded. And we've talked about being rooted and grounded in Christ and in the faith. And now in this third quarter, we're talking about being rooted and grounded in love. And we've already discussed that at the beginning of this month. But I think it's important for us to ask the question, what, what kind of love, what does the love of God really look like? And, and the next three verses that we see here in 1 John chapter 4 tell us what the love of God is like. We need to be rooted and grounded in love. But specifically, we as Christians must be rooted and grounded in God-like love. This is the kind of love that should dictate all of our actions, that prov should provide all of our motivation. It is both the root and the fruit of who we are as Christians. And so keep reading with me, if you would, in 1 John chapter 4, now in verse 9. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. You want to know what the love of God is? Keep listening that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought. And that word ought there is the idea of must. We have a duty. We must love one another. This is universally applicable. The things that we read about here in describing what God's love is. Now, we have other kinds of love in specific relationships, but when we say God is love, this is what we're talking about. And so let's examine for a few minutes this morning what God-like love really looks like. Number one, if we look there in our Bibles, for each of these, I think there's a word or phrase that we can latch onto and say, this is what God's love is. And the first thing that we see is that God's love is manifested toward us. And so when we're talking about God-like love, God-like love is love that is open. It is love that is shown. It is love that is seen. And there are a number of passages in our Bible that speak to this idea. Proverbs 27 and verse 5 says, An open rebuke is better than hidden love. If you hide your love, hide the love you have for someone, if they can't see that love, then it's not God's kind of love. Uh, we talked at, at some length about John chapter 13, 34 and 35 at the beginning of this month. And Jesus says in that passage that, that we have to love as he has loved us. And that's the new commandment that he gives, that we love as he has loved us. And that's, that's new, that's powerful, that the Son of God would give his life for us who were his enemies. But, but it's manifested, it's shown, and, and that's exactly what we see here in 1 John as well. But it's interesting to me that he has this phrase along, this, along with that, by this all will know that you are my disciples when they see that kind of love among us. And so love that is this kind of godlike love is love that has to be shown. And I think a good test of this is, is to put it this way. I, I know some of us are very open with our love and we show our love and we speak our love. I've talked about that before. You know I'm somebody who says that. Uh, but it, you don't have to be somebody who just says, I love you, I love you, I love you all the time to apply to what we're talking about here. 
I think a good way, a good test of this would be if someone were to ask the people that I love, all the people that I love, if someone were to ask them the question, does Reagan love you? They would be able to say yes, and they would be able to give examples, reasons that show that I love them in that way. So when we're talking about love that is manifested, love that is open, really what we're talking about is love that is active. Remember what he says there in verse 9? For in this the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world. This is love that is active. And if you don't do anything, it's not God's kind of love. God tells us hundreds of times in our Bibles that He loves us, and specifically that He loves us as His people. But it's not just that God says that. God shows that. God's love is active. Um, if you're still there in 1 John, go back a chapter to 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3 and verse 18. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now God's love obviously includes His feelings and His words, but it is by His deeds that He has proven His love toward us. Remember what John chapter 3 and verse 16 says? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. What did He do? He gave His only begotten Son. Uh, Harold preached a lesson many years ago called To Love is to Give. Did I get that right, Harold? Where did he get that? Where did Harold get that? He's a smart guy. Where did he get that? He got that from God. God gave... Because that's what love does. And what did he give? Well, he gave something important and valuable, something that cost him in order to give it. Uh, my parents were in this past weekend for the Cowboy Bee Show and a couple other reasons. Uh, and uh, I was cleaning out my bookshelf before they got here, and I had this big pile of books that I was going to give to my dad. Uh, and why did I think about my dad? I thought about my dad because I love him and he loves reading, so I've got this pile of books. Uh, and looking at those books, um, these were books, number one, that I had already read and didn't want anymore. And number two, I realized after he got there, a few of those books were books that he had actually given to me that now I was trying to give back to him. And it was a nice thought. I'm not denying that. Pat myself on the back. But those books, when it got down to it, have very little value. Ah, oh, they got a little bit at half-price books, maybe. Maybe they'd give me a few credits for those, and that's my plan now. And I was thinking of my dad, sure, but I was getting rid of those books anyway. And so my love was active. But it wasn't much of a sacrifice at all for me. In fact, in some ways, if my dad had just taken all those books, then I'd be done with them, and I wouldn't have to worry about them anymore. It didn't cost me much. And when we think about the love of God and how active it is, it is not just active when it costs him nothing, just the opposite. God-like love is love that is willing to sacrifice, and it is seen in that phrase that he gave. He sent 
his only begotten son into the world. If you aren't willing to give something up for love, it's not God's kind of love. That's what sacrifice is, isn't it? You're giving up something that you want for something that you want more. Love, specifically love from God, gives us so much. But if we aren't willing to give up anything for something we love, do we really love it that much? If you're still there in 1 John, look now back in verse 16 of 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. So we've had John 3.16, now 1 John 3.16. It's amazing how well those two verses go together. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought, again that's that word, this is our duty, we must, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Did Jesus want to die on the cross? No, in one sense. But he loved us, you and me, all mankind. He loved us more than he loved his own life. He was willing to sacrifice his life because he loved us more than that life. And so too, God the Father wanted his son to not have to come and live and suffer and die but he wanted a relationship with you and me more than he didn't want those things. They were willing to sacrifice. And all godlike love is sacrificial in that way. And it's not just sacrificial. Um, if you're still there in verse 9, he sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Maybe this is implied by sacrificial, but I think it deserves uh, being said explicitly. Godlike love is also this idea of being selfless. Maybe you have to be selfless in order to sacrifice, but know this, if it's all about you and what you get out of love, then it's not God's kind of love. And, and that's hard, isn't it? Love is about what you give, not about what you get. And I think that's why the image of God as our Father, God as a parent, is so powerful. Um, who are the parents in the room? Raise your hand if you're a parent. I think it's helpful uh, to be a parent to think about and understand what God's love is. Not saying that if you're not a parent you can't understand that. Don't misunderstand me. But I think it is a, a helpful image. We love our children. But do we always get a lot out of that? Sometimes we do. Hopefully over the course of their life we're going to get a ton out of that. But we love our children even when we don't get anything out of that relationship. And, and it's funny to me, maybe the best example of that is right after they're born. We have a baby in our arms and that baby is powerless to do much of anything for us, right? We take that baby home and we must do everything for that child. That child is not capable of expressing love back to us. And often... The love that we show to that child is difficult and discouraging. The, a baby is, I mean, just looking at it from, from purely physical, a purely physical perspective, what does a baby do? A baby takes and takes and takes and takes. And yet we do that willingly. Why? Because of our love. And we don't expect anything in return. Uh, you, you remember what it was, you remember the, the diaper changing stage? Some of you are still in that stage, right? And uh, 
looking back on that, it seems so silly. You know, you got this child here on this changing table, uh, and if you take a step back, you say, that's really kind of a horrible experience, isn't it? Um, I changed lots and lots and lots of diapers in, in my time. Uh, I always kind of had a rule, I'm going to change my own kids' diapers. I'm not going to change anybody else's diaper. That was kind of my rule. I've had to break that rule a number of times as an adult, not with other people's children, but with, with other older adults. And let me tell you, that's, that's a tough situation to be in when you walk into a situation like that, and now my love demands that I do this. And yet it's amazing when you're at that changing table with your baby and you're in this kind of horrible situation, what are you doing? You're, you're ooing and aahing and cooing with that child like it's the best thing in the world because you love them even though they don't have that capacity to return that love, at least not yet. And so too, when it comes to God and His love for us, it is so selfless that He loved us when really we didn't love Him back. And not just that we didn't love Him back, we, we were against Him in so many ways. What if we adopted this attitude with others? If we receive something back, great. But that's not why I'm doing this. And that's not what I'm expecting. It's not quid pro quo. I show you a little bit of love and you've got to show that same amount or more back to me. What if we had that kind of mentality and outlook? Well, then we would be getting closer to the kind of love that God has. It's great if you love me back. But that's not the reason why I love you. And again, I think that's seen even more in verse 10 of our text in 1 John chapter 4. In this is love, not that we loved God. This love that God shows us is undeserved in so many ways. If it has to be earned, then it's not God's kind of love. Maybe it's a kind of love, don't misunderstand me, but it's not God's kind of love. It's not this God-like love. And that's even harder than just being selfless. I'm willing to give to someone who deserves it. I'm even willing to give big. I'm willing to think about them before myself. I'm willing to put their needs above and before my own if if I look at that situation and I say, you know what, that person deserves it. Um, Miss Debbie and I were talking uh, just between Bible class and uh, uh, B called me over about a week or so ago and... Uh, and he said, hey, Reagan, I need a favor from you. And I said, foolishly, foolishly, I said, sure, B, what do you need? And he said, what i really like you to do is introduce the Cowboy B show and then also talk about some of our financial needs and so forth. And I said, okay, B, whatever you need. But in my head, I was thinking, oh, no, of all the things he could have asked. Uh, and if you were there at the show, Tim Beeman is one of just a few people who could ever get me into a cowboy hat again. But I was willing to do it because Tim and Debbie, I mean, they deserve it. I mean, all of the things that they do for everybody else, all of the things that they've done for me and my family and in my life, sure, of course, I'm willing to do that for them. But where the rubber really meets the road is am I still willing to show love for those people who don't deserve it? That's when it really gets tough. But that's what God has done and what God continues to do. 
uh, Tommy in his talk talked about uh, Romans chapter 5. Turn over there, if you would, again. Uh, it went so well with what we're talking about. In Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. Uh, What is that saying? We're willing to show love, we're willing to make sacrifices, we're willing to be selfless, when somebody deserves it, because they're good and because they're righteous. We would all dare to do that, probably, if we're any kind of decent human being. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So we were without strength, ungodly, sinners, and enemies of God. And what was God's response to that? Well, Christ died as a demonstration of God's love that we might be justified, saved, and reconciled. That is showing love even when that love is not deserved. And we expect that of God because that's what God has shown. But do we expect that of ourselves? I think that was Jesus' expectation for us. In Matthew chapter 5, if you want to turn over there, Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 43, I had a long conversation, well, a medium-sized conversation with a preacher friend about the Sermon on the Mount. Was Jesus just correcting the uh, old law and misconceptions about the old law, or was he also calling us to a higher standard? Uh, I think that he is calling us to a higher standard even than what is seen in the old law. But it is certain that he is correcting some misunderstanding. And in verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor, that was the old law, and hate your enemy. Well, that was the rabbinic interpretation, the misunderstanding of the old law. You're supposed to love your neighbor, but it's okay to hate your enemy. But I say to you, Jesus says, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you and do good for those who hate you. So this is love that isn't just felt. It is active, it is manifested, it is sacrificial, it is selfless. It's undeserved. All of the things that we've talked about. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Why? Verse 45. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For He makes... His sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sins reign on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so? Therefore, if you love like this, you shall be perfect, complete, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. 
This is the way we must love if we want to love like our Father in heaven. We must be willing to love even when that love is not deserved. And that, brothers and sisters, is what sets Christians apart from everybody else. If you love those who love you, even the tax collectors do the same. Even those who have no fear of God. So godlike love is open and active, sacrificial and selfless. It is undeserved. And then finally, I want you to notice one last thing that he says there in verse 10 of 1 John, if you want to turn back there. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You could be here this morning and be somebody who's a believer in Jesus, and you could take these concepts, and you would be a more loving person if you turned your love into love like this. But it would still fall short, ultimately, of the love of God. If we just have these five very powerful uh, descriptions of what true godlike love is, without this last concept, God did all of these things. He loved us in this way and sent His Son for what reason? To be the propitiation for our sins. And this is what I would say about that, that God-like love is ultimately spiritually focused love. It It is not focused on the physical. If it is focused on the physical, it's going to be according to truth, but it's also focused on the spiritual. In order to truly love as God loves, we have to hate sin. We have to be concerned not just with the physical well-being of those that we love, but the spiritual well-being. And if our love is not ultimately spiritually focused, it's not God's kind of love. His love and the acts of love that He gives are for the spiritual well-being of others first and foremost. A couple of passages nearby here to 1 John that might be helpful to us in this regard. Turn back a few pages uh, to James. James chapter 5. James chapter 5. This is the way James concludes his book. Brethren, If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Well, that's that's an awesome thing. But you say, wait a second, Reagan, I I don't see love in that passage. Well, turn over just a couple of pages to the very next book, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 8, And above all things have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. You know what love looks like? It looks like what we see back there in James chapter 5 verses 19 and 20. The kind of love that motivates us to seek the spiritual well-being of the people that we love. And if, You know, people talk about, hey, preacher, you stepped on my toes this morning. 
my response usually to, to that is I'm aiming at your heart, but sometimes I have to step on my own toes before I can get to any of y'all's. And it is convicting to me when I think about people that I love, people that I've told them that I've loved them throughout my life, people that I have sacrificed for and been selfless toward, and, and people, frankly, who deserve some love because they are good people, but maybe I would be willing to show them that even if they didn't. That my love has not always had this spiritual focus. And my own comfort has been more important than that love. God-like love has this spiritual focus that says, I love you so much. What I'm going to do is what's going to be in your best interest spiritually. Even if that is difficult for me, even if that is difficult for you. And the thing about that is, isn't that a perfect reflection of God's love? The love that God shows to us isn't always what we would view as the very best thing for us physically. Sometimes God allows us to go through trials. Sometimes God allows us to go through difficulties. And I don't believe that, love, that God's love wanes in any way in those moments. But God knows more and sees more than we do. And even in those times where He allows those things to happen, His love is still at work for our spiritual good and well-being. And we need to strive to have that same perspective with those that we love. Verse 11 finally says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God's love is the basis for our love. His love is made perfect when we love others in the same way to love as He loved. What awesome love that it is, as he said earlier in this book in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed onto us, has shown us that we should be called the children of God. And that's true in two ways. We should see God's love in being made His children and be awed by that. What love that I am His child, even though that is not deserved. But secondly, we should see God's love and as His children we should imitate that love ourselves. It should be a reflection of, our love should be a reflection of His love for us. And so my question, uh, really, in all of this, yes, do you, do you know God? I, I hope that you do. And I hope by the things we've talked about this morning, you know Him a little bit better. Specifically, do you know the love of God? Do you know love? Do you know what love really is? But the application that is made by John is the same application that I want to make. Beloved, if God so loved us and we know this love and we have experienced this love from God, we also ought to love one another. Is this, are these six things on the board behind me, is that the love that we have and the love that we show in our lives? Is this the love that we are showing to our spouses in our marriage is that love open and active and sacrificial and selfless? And even when our spouse, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe your spouse always deserves love because they treat you exactly the way you're supposed to be treated. My spouse doesn't have that luxury. Sometimes she has to love me even when it's undeserved. 
And with our spouse, is that love manifested in the spiritual focus that we want them to go to heaven and we'll do whatever in our power to try and help them to make it there? What about with our children? Is this the kind of love that we're showing to them? That in all the decisions that we make, yes, we're doing what is in their best interest because we're having to make those sacrifices, but it's not just for their physical well-being that they might be popular at school and successful in life. But ultimately, my love is shown and manifested because I'm doing everything in my power to give them a foundation of God's love seen through me and their mother that will help them get to heaven someday. Do I have God-like love for my classmates, for my co-workers? Do I have God-like love even for those who would consider themselves to be my enemy? This has to be our kind of love if we're going to be rooted and grounded in God's love. Uh, and it begins with responding to God's love in love by coming to Him for the salvation that He offers. And that is not a salvation that any of us deserve. But it is a salvation that we have to accept. It's a salvation where we must do what God has called us to do in order to receive this gracious gift that He has given. Uh, if you want to turn back to Romans, um, where we were a moment ago, Romans chapter 5, um, I decided to do this again since Tommy used it in his, uh, in his talk. I think there's something pretty powerful there in that text as we think about God's manifestation of His love toward us. In Romans chapter 5, we talked about how we were without strength, how we were ungodly, how we were sinners and enemies and God died, Christ died for us. He showed His love toward us and all of those sorts of things. But notice again verse 10. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Some people read that and they think, well, that's the sinless life of Jesus, that, that Jesus lived this perfect life. And it's true, Jesus had to live that perfect life in order to be sacrificed for our sins. But in the context here, it's really not talking about His sinless life. It's talking about His life in the resurrection, that Jesus was raised. And so both Christ's death, His sacrifice, and His resurrection, His life, are required for our justification. In chapter 4 and verse 25, who was delivered up for us, that's His death, because of our offenses, and was raised because of our justification. That's, that's His life, His resurrection. That's the image that is there. That God demonstrates His love for us, that Christ died on a cross, but also that He raised from the dead. And we are saved by His death and by His resurrection. So what does Paul do in chapter 6? Or do you not know, verse 3, that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So too for us what is required is a death. I'm not going to be who I was anymore. But that death is just one step. I must also be raised to walk in newness of life. And what Paul says is, when that happens, it's when I'm baptized into his death 
that I might rise to walk in newness of life. This baptism, this ultimately relates back to the love of God. And it is that perfect picture that God has shown His love for us in all of the ways that we've talked about this morning. And He requires us to accept that love through this imitation of what He has given. And so if you're here this morning and you know the love of God and you see what God has done for you, won't you jump at the chance to accept His love and accept His grace and begin living a life that is blessed by the Creator of the universe, not just in this life, but the life to come. And if we can help you with that even this morning, come now while together we stand and while we sing.